Hello, my name is Michael, and you're listening to Forever Sound Version, a video game music podcast. Dear friends, this is episode 4 of this video game music podcast and this is is a pretty special episode for two reasons. Reason number one being that I've been wanting to do this episode for quite some time given that it's one of my absolute favourite games, I guess. Um, Metroid, the Metroid series, specifically the 2D Metroid games. So I'm not including Metroid Prime's trilogy and things like that. This is... The, uh, the classic 2D side-scrolling Metroid games. The second reason why this show is quite a special one is that I have a co-host with me today. Uh, my very good friend Stuart is with me. How are you doing, Stuart? <laughs> very well, yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for the invite as well. Um, Not at all. It's quite, uh, well, especially Super Metroid uh, 3 is quite a special kind of uh, game to me because, well, we have a lot of memories of playing this as uh, young kids. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, true, yeah. It's, I think it's inevitable that we're going to end up reminiscing rather a lot about uh, about Metroid 3 in particular. Because um, you, you were the SNES kid mostly of of, uh, of the pair of us. I mean, eventually I got a SNES too, but I was Sega Mega Drive and Nintendo Game Boy mostly, and then you had the SNES. So I think in hindsight I can see that you probably had the best games up your sleeve back in the day and this was this was the best for my money super metroid i don't know they just don't make them like that anymore which is a damn shame no and it, it it's probably one of my uh favorite definitely 2d series of games um i mean there's other games that i've played before like the playstation like abe's odyssey abe's exodus which are also mm. good and in terms of the way it look graphically in the detail but there's a certain charm about these types of games because of like the technology while it was used was quite basic so before we properly get into Super Metroid, Metroid 3, we'll um, talk about the absolute original, the original Metroid game called Metroid. Metroid 1, we'll call it. Um, and we're recording this podcast in 2016, uh, September 2016. 
so it sort of makes this episode kind of timely in a sense because 2016 is uh, the 30th anniversary of the original Metroid game. It was released in August 1986, which is, I don't know, it's older than me, it's older than you as well. Yeah, it's older yeah. than both of us, like by a matter of months, but... <laughs> I mean that's uh that's kind of shocking really. <laughs> this is um this is a Nintendo uh title as you know they published it and they developed it as well in the 1980s. And um it was a NES title heavily influenced by uh Ridley Scott's film Alien, you know the uh horror, you know aliens hugging your face in space sort of thing. So there's you know in, in those films there's a real sense of uh like claustrophobia and like sinister things going on. Uh, do you have much experience of Metroid One, the original game? Um, that's much experience. I played. Um, well, obviously, there's Metroid Three played. Um, I also played. I remember getting Metroid Two after that for the Game Boy. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say the guess that the, the musical technologies for the Game Boy probably were very similar. Uh, one thing I particularly liked, I have heard some of the music of the game, especially when watching, say, um, either ROM hacks, um, is particularly the music still has quite a nice eerie feel to it, especially that the intro music we just played there, and oh, you it mentioned yeah. that it's connected in a way to the, the sense of claustrophobia you would get in, say, the Alien series. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the kind of eerie, kind of creepy feeling the game kind of gives you, especially in an intro screen. Um, I mean, the other intro screens as well for the other games as well um, all have that kind of eerie, you know, when you're kind of loading up the sound effects you'd hear when you were kind of like clicking on the Sam's helmet to load up a certain <laughs> save file yeah, yeah, and yeah. getting into the actual game. It's it's a recurring theme throughout the series as well. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you have the sinister kind of foreboding thing going on where you don't know what's around the corner and, uh, you, you know, the circumstances are really bleak and really dire. And then you have a different league of tracks, which are very, uh, like very heroic and kind of uplifting in their way, you know. But let's get into some more Metroid tracks. These pieces were composed by Hirokazu Tanaka, and we're going to hear three tracks from the original Metroid game: uh, Brinstar, Kraid, and then Escape.
Brinstar, Kraid and Escape, composed by Hirokazu Tanaka there, uh, from the original Metroid game from 1986 on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And, you know, these are classics, but these are unlikely to be unfamiliar to most of our listeners on this show. But, you know, we have to play them. Like, this is, uh, this is Metroid music, in a nutshell. What do you think of these ones? I think it was interesting, um, particularly the um, Kraid music. Um, I was saying to you, you want to listen to them. I've, I've definitely, obviously I'm not familiar with this game as much, um, being the, the first ones, but I've, I've, I've heard a lot of this stuff on stuff like ROM hacks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to see that, you know, like people are still recycling this music. So even if it is as old and it's not as sort of like musically complex as say the kind of newer Metroid music, it's nice to still see them use this and splice it into the kind of backdrops of newer Metroid drum hacks. Right, right. Like they're still acknowledging it as part of, still part of the larger thing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, that's what I mean. That's just like, oh, it's just a legacy that people have left in there. Serious, hardcore Metroid fans who are redesigning their own games are still using this music. Yeah. Like the opening Brinstar music, um, it's, it is a little different to like the, the Super Metroid opening that we're familiar with where Samus lands on Zeebs insofar as that tune on the Metroid, on the original Metroid, uh, plays like as she lands and it's actually quite upbeat in its way. Like, you know, it's um, rather heroic upon arrival uh, rather than... Um, on Super Metroid where it's, you know, there's a thunderstorm and it's very texture carried and, you know, oh god, I'm back on Zeebs again, you know, that sort of feel. Well, I was wondering, because this is like, I mean, this is the arrival of a hero in a way, really. I mean, Samus is a heroine, really, that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if this is probably one of the first games that introduced that idea or certainly was riding on the wave of introducing female characters as heroes. That's, um, yeah, you know, Metroid is pretty notable for that, indeed. Uh, of course, in, in like later incarnations of the game, they've riffed on that a fair bit, you know, with the relationship the Metroid Lava has with Samus when she uh, unwittingly liberates it from SR388 in Metroid 2, and then it thinks Samus is is its mother, you know, things like that. Like, they've, uh, they've, they've put some thought into it since, but I think at the time it was, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, made the uh, character a woman? One thing I like about that selection of music as well is that they're keeping in theme still. I know you mentioned the intro music is a lot different from later Metroids, where I kind of feel it got a bit more darker. Obviously, this is kind of like the birth of a hero, um, so the intro is a bit more upbeat. Uh, you're getting familiar with the game yeah. through this music. Um, they're still keeping in theme somewhat because of obviously Kraid, I presume, is one of the first bosses you will probably meet in the game. That's right, um, yeah. Again, it's a bit more kind of dark, a bit more kind of creepy. Because uh, let's be honest, Kraid is a creepy boss. Very I creepy. I find it very creepy, especially as a kid. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know you had. You never liked Fantoon, but personally, I think Kraid was the most disgusting one that I was pleased to see, you know, get killed. Uh, firing those, like, fleshy missiles out of his enormous yeah. stomach was pretty horrible, yeah. And then the music mirrors it perfectly, like, you know, they're, they're playing in this sort of... I don't want to get too hung up on things like time signatures and stuff like that, but it's it's playing in that, like, 6-8 time, so oh. it's it's almost like a waltz, you know? It's like a really, really dark like kind of cartoonishly scary waltz you know that wouldn't be out of place on a castlevania game you know what i mean it's it, it just sounds creepy like what i tend to do with these, this kind of game now is like i said i i, I watch a lot of speed runs i uh 
watch a lot of rom hacks and again this is all music we're hearing now is music that they use they don't invent the wrong music for the game they're using this music and other game music and yeah uh, Craig is often kind of the butt of the joke for um <laughs> a large amount of music that is made i think there's one about you know when i'm watching these speed runs they'll have like a player that's playing in the background and i'll tell you the, the theme of the song and a lot of it's like heavy metal music that has like you know Craig's crazy dance or something on it and like and it's like you see them playing this music when they're kind of actually beating the shit out of Craig so. oh man poor Craig <laughs> alright let's move on then um, you know the, the Metroid 1 soundtrack is is brilliant especially for a, for a NES soundtrack you know there are a handful of excellent excellent uh, like albums of music on the NES um, but I mean for, for me, like nothing really touches Metroid. Like it's it's a special one. We're going to move on to uh, Metroid Two: Return of Samus, which was released in 1991 on the Nintendo Game Boy. So uh, this is where Samus shifts over to a handheld. And what they've what they attempted to do with this was take the basic idea and the basic like gameplay of the original Metroid on the NES and just shunt it over to the Game Boy and just carry on with the story somewhat. So what happens at the end of Metroid 1 is Samus destroys Mother Brain, who's uh, you know the, the main antagonist, and then Ridley's there too, that the space pirate head honcho. She escapes Zebes. It, it kind of self-destructs. Um, eventually it'll be rebuilt, but you know Zebes blows up. Uh, she gets away in the nick of time. And uh, you know she reports to the Galactic Federation and they go oh man these Metroids bad news actually Samus can you go and destroy all of them we can't take any chances like kill all of them because Ridley's gonna end up nicking them and developing these horrible biological weapons and so on and so forth so Samus goes all right I'll do it and she travels to the planet SR388 which is a not as catchy a name as Zeebs but there you go I think it's called that because it's meant to be uncharted um, you know, by the Federation, they're unfamiliar with it or something. It's Star Trekky. I suppose it is kind of yeah. I mean, I, maybe in this universe there are countless thousands, millions of planets, and Samus goes and blows them all up. I don't know. It's it's a very similar game to the original Metroid, in in you know many ways. This is probably yeah. This is the second Metroid game I played actually after Super Metroid. So I was kind of going backwards in terms of uh, you know in backwards chronologically in the in the lore and story of Metroid. It's not the best game, really. I mean, it, it's sort of impressive that they made it work on a Game Boy at all. Really, it's, you know, in 1991 they made that game happen on a Game Boy. That's impressive, but it's not the most gratifying experience like to play it now. That said, there's been a fan-made remake of Metroid 2. That I've recently completed, um, and it's called AM2R, which stands for Another Metroid 2 Remake. And before we started recording this episode, we we played through the the end game scenario, if you like, where Samus destroys all the all the baby Metroids and then the Queen Metroid. I mean, looking at that, what were you, what were your thoughts on this game? Um, I was quite impressed. I had a, a very it had a very Metroid 3, Metroid Fusion kind of feel to it in terms of the graphics, in terms of its engine, how it handled. Um, it was very smooth. Uh, it, it still possessed that certain charm to those games as well, in particular that made it quite enjoyable to watch. Um, I always am a big fan of these remakes in particular. I think it's nice when you see fans go away and make a remake of it. Um, 
Again, the Samus sprite looked like it was part of a ROM hack. The tiles looked a little bit different, though. It was as if they were kind of made themselves by the actual fan mm. or the fan artist. So yeah, I was I was very very impressed with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great game. I mean, for me, this is now the definitive version of Metroid Two. Like it, it really eclipses uh, the Game Boy version, which it's you know you'd expect it to because because of the tools you have at uh, your disposal these days for developers. Uh, versus like what 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 affordances they had on the Game Boy back in the day, so um, I give like I give the, the the chief developer if you like a shout just to say thanks for making this thing. Um, he goes by the by the alias Doctor M sixty four. So I want to give him a shout because he very kindly uh, replied to my inquiry about the game, and uh, turns out he's been listening to this very podcast. So that's really much appreciated. Thank you very much for that. Uh, unfortunately, and not entirely surprisingly, uh, Nintendo have actually shut down the distribution for AM2R under a, a DMCA notice. Um, that said, like this is a this is a brilliant game. If you're a Metroid fan, then just play it honestly. Like there are ways of getting this game, and you know what to do. Is all I'll say. Like you can get this, and you should get this because it kind of it kind of rivals Super Metroid. I know it's a strange, you know, it's one of my favourite games of all time, but it, it really does rival it in terms of how it plays. So enough about that, because we want to hear some music from the original Metroid 2. It was composed by Ryoji Yoshimoto, and for the most part, the music on this game, or the sound on this game at least, is kind of like atmospheric background noise as you're roaming through the caverns. Like, you know, bleeps and bloops and drips and, you know, Samus trampling on things and stuff like that. But there are a couple of tunes as well, and we're going to play a couple of them. We're going to hear Surface of SR388 and the Metroid Queen boss theme.
Alright, we just had Surface of SR388 and Metroid Queen boss theme composed by Ryoji Yoshitomi for Metroid 2 Return of Samus, released 91 on the Nintendo Game Boy. These are two like wildly different pieces of music. Uh, so that opening track, Surface of SR388, it's the first thing you hear upon landing on the planet. And I think this one is quite 80s, actually. I don't know, man, it just reminds me of, like, Gary Newman or something. Like, the kind of electronic pop sort of thing going on. Like, kind of pulsating bass and... You know what I mean? Am I barking up the wrong tree, do you think? <laughs> it's the way you said that when listening to it. Um, I suppose in particular... Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from on that, in a way. Um, I suppose guy, some of Gary Newman's Gary Newman music in particular, I think is quite, like, by a sort of look beyond towards the lyrics really in a way really and uh, we don't have the lyrics <laughs> this song unfortunately yeah. I'm not saying it sounds so, like cars but <laughs> if anyone wants to write lyrics to these songs then that would be great but uh, <laughs> oh, that's a challenge <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we should do that yeah alright and then the other one we heard Metroid Queen boss theme um, that's a, a very different beast that's um, it's kind of like propped up by how the uh, noise channel on the Game Boy sound hardware is playing like explosions, like kind of to mark time. And I suppose maybe it's like, you know, serving two purposes, like marking time on the the BGM, the background music, and also being, oh, it's the Queen Metroid and she's blowing things up. So you're going to hear explosions. That's my take on it. But again, like classic Metroid dissonance, noisy music, wouldn't you say? I think these two songs, uh, these ones in particular, uh, bring a lot of, uh, well, a few childhood memories back. Um, I, I played this game after I played uh, Metroid 3. Yeah, same here. Uh, and it, this was uh, brilliant for me. Um, I, I don't know if my mum's ever going to be listening to something like this, but she would have been sick and tired of the uh, the opening song. Because <laughs> I loved that, and you'd load up the game, and then you'd start basically off on the planet... And I, I just loved that that theme. I think it was just really nice. Of I used to walk around the house with the Game Boy with that playing, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be on, on the same bit for a long time, like just trying to find these Metroids. Um, oh, that's cool. Well, hello to hello to Stuart's mom if she's listening. Like, <laughs> do you think she will? <laughs> Well, she might do, but she always oh, likes okay. it. We spend time together anyway, so they're missing. <laughs> and then she used to like, used to come on the house, obviously, and play some of the Metroid games. Oh, uh, easy concrete it? proof, Mrs. Thompson. <laughs> like, I am, I am hanging out with your your son. So anyway, all right. Well, this is almost seamless because we're going from one uh, one spell of reminiscing to another. Let's get into Super Metroid. Metroid 3's music. This is, I'm gonna say it. This is my favorite video game soundtrack. At this time, I think it's my favourite. Like, and considering this is a video game music podcast, and I do have, you know, a lot of my life is invested in music, and that's like, I guess it's a big deal to say that. Really, I mean, for me, it is. Like, this is the best for me, Metroid Three. And mm. I don't know, man. Like, I've picked, uh, I've picked six tracks to play right now, and uh, maybe we'll hear one more later. So it, it kind of, uh, it kind of demands like. A lot of playtime on this show. Uh, I, I don't imagine you're going to argue against that, are you? Uh, <laughs> I, I, this is. Um, I mean, before we play them, I, I think this 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 little game. I think I really was very lucky to actually get it um, and to play it. It was discovered by chance. It was one of those things where when we got the SNES as Christmas, 
uh, it was one of those bundle, you know, you buy it from Curry's or something, you get a few games thrown in. Yeah. And I think it's one of those thing, things where I've not, my mum just saw it by chance, like as part of the bundle. But when I actually opened this as a gift, this one, this actual game stood out because of the actual design mm. of it. it was in a big box, bigger than the usual games. And on it, you have a picture of Samus shooting uh, a beam at Ridley. That's right. And you can see the foot of Kraid in it. And it, mm. that kind of caught my attention in the game. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I probably wouldn't be sat here today talking to you really about this um, had I not even oh, yeah. had I not shown some interest in the game and actually got learned how to operate Samus. So it, it's, sure. it's quite exciting to... Yeah, I, I, same here. Really, like, I mean, it, it it is just entirely objectively a fantastic game and a fantastic soundtrack, but it's the additional kind of resonances we have. Going, oh man, remember when we were like ten or nine? I suppose nine, ten. I mean, this was released ninety four. Jesus, I mean, it's, I just I can't feel old. Man. You used to, if I remember correctly, because you, you used to come around the house. I think it was either like a midweek, either Wednesday or something, yeah. or Tuesday. Shout uh, out to Mill Street. Man. <laughs> it's like, the on point because we were so in love with this game, where because because you you were really good at picking up games and solving problems. <laughs> in actually, when you overtook oh, me man. to get to Fantoon and actually beat him, that that, that, that uh, secretly really annoyed did me. I, did I actually do that? Really? Yeah, yeah, and you, oh, you man, stayed. I'm sorry. I watched what you did, catch caught up a bit, and then try to get a bit more further into the game. By which point you'd get it and come back in on Wednesday and then get to the oh, next part. Man. So I think, Sorry. I think you completed it before I did. Uh, no, no, no. You definitely completed it before me. You definitely finished it before me because I remember like there was one day at school you were like, "All right, tonight's the night. It's me and Mother Brain. It's going down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy Mother Brain tonight." I'm like, "Let me know how it goes. Like, give me a call or something." And then the next day at school, I went, "Did you do it?" And you went, "Yeah, I got it." <laughs> That, so uh, you definitely beat the game before me. So don't worry about that. I wasn't going to steal your thunder on that one. Oh, I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah, man, you, you, <laughs> totally, you totally got there first. I'm pleased you did. So I mean, this is... Um, what can I say about this soundtrack? I mean, it, it sort of speaks for itself when once it gets going, but I'm going to attempt anyway because it's a podcast. I have to talk about the music I'm playing. This is composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano. Uh, Himano, she was 24 years old when she worked on this soundtrack. Wow. 24, like, I'm thinking of the mm-hmm. stuff I was coming out with, like, when I was 24, like, five years ago. And, and she composed Super Metroid, <laughs> you know, it's it brings things in a sharp relief, you know. I didn't know that, that's impressive. It's, it is impressive, man. A uh, little bit of trivia about uh, Minako Hamano. So, you know when Samus, like, loses all of her energy in the energy tanks and it's game over, basically? They originally tried to record, uh, like, a death cry sort of thing for Samus. And with Hamano being a woman, they went, hey, maybe you should do it. So they got her on the mic and she tried to record some takes for, like, a like a game over noise when Samus is, like, you know, bursts out of her suit and is destroyed. And in the end, they had to scrap the idea because... Um, Apparently, according to Kenji Yamamoto, who is, uh, you know, the co-composer, he said uh, everything she came out with just sounded too sexual, so we couldn't use any of it. So in the end, you get this like um, kind of almost like kind of synthetic noise to to you know uh, mark the fact that you've you've run out of energy. And some say uh, hidden in the code, you can find this uh, recording that. Um, that Havana did out there. Any wrong hackers out there? I don't believe it because I've hacked it. I've hacked it for sounds, and I haven't found anything like that. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, 
it's it's sort of like that would be amazing Easter egg. It would be that was pretty crazy. Somewhere. I mean, wow. There's something kind of not perverted about it, but like, oh man, it, it, like it's her voice on it. You know what I mean? It would be kind of cool to find it. But this is trivia. Yeah, that's just, that's just, that's just phenomenal. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. All right, let's get into these sounds then. Um, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna play three pieces of music, then we'll talk about them, then go on to the next three. Uh, to start off, we're gonna hear theme of Super Metroid. Then we'll go on to Brinstar Vegetation, followed by Brinstar Main. So we're gonna have a Brinstar double header right now. We used to call these uh, Brinstar Green and Brinstar Red because you know they look different, they sound different, they play different. Even you know those two versions of Brinstar. Um, yeah, and these are all composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano.
team of Super Metroid, Brinstar Vegetation and Brinstar Main from Super Metroid composed by Yamamoto and Hamano for Nintendo in 1994. Oh, Jesus, like, <laughs> brilliant music. Um, I really love the, the choices of samples in these, uh, in these pieces. After all, uh, you know, the SNES was sample-based, a sample-based uh, sound chip. So they would have uh, individual like sample hits, like a like you know a choral sound in many cases, or a drum hit, and then use those as the basis for their compositions. Uh, and these particular tracks, you have um, you know again the green and the red versions of Brinstar, and you have contrasting like sounds for contrasting feels, and uh, a lot a lot of that's to do with the sound fonts, you know the sounds that are used, the samples that are used. So. Um, you know, we have uh, like orchestral and choral sounds contrasting with uh, the electronic sounds. So, you know, there's those really punchy snare drums and, you know, the massive like kind of uh, synthetic slap bass thing going on on the Brinstar Vegetation track. Like really, really hard hitting stuff. Um, what are you, you thinking about these? Because this has got to be taking you back, right? Yeah, well, um, especially like the uh, obviously we're making comment whilst listening to them, um, and in particular the just like to make comment about the intro music as well. I mentioned that what I like about that is normally you'd have a that playing to set the scene for the actual game, and you'd have like a set of pros like sort of indicating the scenario and situation oh, that yeah, Samus yeah. was in. Yeah. Um, what I like in particular is obviously the, I mean I know I've mentioned it a lot, but like I really am into the ROM hacks at the minute and what people can you know do with the game now reinvent it use these kind of songs use these tiles um and recreate samus in another situation and it's why i like in particular is that people are using this actual intro music as part of a music for another zone i say which i think is very clever it blew my oh, mind okay. when i heard that what sort of areas are they using it for just out of interest mainly open areas believe it or not so you imagine yeah. landing on zebes again or something that, oh and it starts playing then yeah so oh, okay. that not all the time it depends on the state of the room so say if you had done a bit of the game and maybe came back into that zone like defeated a boss or something mm. and come back into the area they'd use that music and it was it, it, it worked it just seemed to work quite well so the people who were engineering these hacks which it's just nice to see them be able to use different aspects and like I said the other songs we've heard so far as well using them as well to incorporate that into the game is, is really really nice um, nice the Brinstar one in particular I mean uh, Brinstar Green is probably my favourite track of the whole game because it's a burner man that's a burner it, it's just fantastic because it sets the seat what I like about it in particular is um Samus, I find, has quite a hard time in uh, the early opening uh, well, sort of rooms of Zebes, if you like. Um, you have very little. You have like basically a beam. You have about 99 hit points. Um, mm. And you have to upcome already against a boss to get the bombs. And um, you have very little. Um, and what I like about that in particular is you're kind of making your way underground into Zebes with very little. Yeah. And then you, this music fades in from a lift. So you have a tran an area where there's there's nothing going on because you're sort of going from one zone to another. Uh, you just get the drone of the lift going. And then it fades in. Yeah. And then you see this sort of like changing at this nice sort of greenery area. And it, it, it's like an amazing area because there's so much going on in Brinstar. You've obviously got the legendary boss that is created a feat. 
Mm. You also have a sub-boss in Sporespawn as well that you come across in the kind of green Brinstar area. Mm. Um, there's also lots of stuff to pick up as well. I do recall you can pick up power bombs, uh, super missiles. Um, I can't think of anything. I think also the the, 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 the various suit as well after defeating Kraid. But it, sure. it, it, what well, it's, it's the. It, you mentioned there's so much going on in actually that's some music is it's nice because it, it sounds as if it's like sort of working alongside what's going on in the game there's so much oh, going totally, on in yeah. that area i mean there's so many like you know the floors littered with little critters roaming around as well like and mm-hmm. you know the textures and the tiles is like super bright like bright green as well you know it's, it's a stark contrast to like you know kind of blue criteria as we'd call it you know that you'd been in previously where everything's sort of uh kind of uh like barren and rocky and dull and then you get down this lift and it's like whoa it's like it's an underground jungle like it's the jungle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should play guns and roses when you get down there, you know? it's, oh, maybe uh, not but it's the fact that brinstar is so big that they've even got a red brinstar music and you've obviously just mm. heard that and that that's like when you're getting deeper in and there's there's more there's even more organisms. I, I do recall like those organisms that would kind of capture Samus and it would like trying to chew on you in a way. Oh, like, those like grabby yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Man, and it, these are only like in Red Brinstar, and you're getting deeper and deeper into Zebes mm-hmm. to the point where you would then get into Norfair, and that's obviously a different, yeah. you know, like set of uh, music altogether. So it's like the slower tempo and you know the space between some of the some of the hits, like. You know, you could suggest that it signifies like you know an increased level of danger or something, yeah. especially early on in the game where, if you're crafty, you can uh, you can find how to find Kraid himself, and then, and then uh, the music takes on an even more sinister tone. That's yeah. with that said, then let's let's get into it because our next three tracks uh, kick off with Big Boss Confrontation One, uh, which is. Uh, a small snippet of the sound you hear when you're looking for Kraid, followed by the boss music itself, uh, which is just absolutely horrifying. Like it's it's the most unsettling thing I've heard come out of a SNES. It's it's horrible. It, it's it's brilliantly horrible, but it's horrible nonetheless. We're also gonna hear, oh man, this is a this absolute classic theme of Samus Aran, the Galactic Warrior. All right, I mean that should be like a national anthem or something. It's just brilliant. And then finally, we're going to hear Mother Brain, the final boss from Super Metroid. Again, all of these tracks are composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano.
just heard Big Boss Confrontation 1, Theme of Samus Aran the Galactic Warrior, and Mother Brain from Super Metroid. So that was like a a scary sandwich in a sense because the first and uh, the first and third tracks we heard there are um, boss themes, very scary, appropriately scary boss themes because the bosses themselves are pretty scary looking things. And then the second one is all about Samus, you know, that's that's her theme tune. And there's kind of a like a military feel in the way that some of the uh, some of the melodic figures are handled and the timpani sample, you know, it, it sounds like not like a march as such, but there is a kind of a bombastic, oh, you know, she's been sent by the Federation sort of thing going on. Do you know what I mean? I can definitely see where you're coming from there for that. Um so the the actual boss music, the the first track you would have heard there, um, that that's the boss music for Kraid and I do believe um, Fantoon, right? Yeah. It's interesting as well because the other boss music you get for the game as well as with Ridley and with Dragon, yeah, sounds a lot more urgent. Um, in particular, that that's often used for countdown times when the something's going to blow up and you have to get out. Um, but I certainly really like the classic, obviously, Kraid music, in particular as well because of memory I have for the game. was um, For me, Kraid was quite a challenging boss to just find in the mm. game. He was well hidden away, but the, the, the way the designers put the game together, it hid really in a challenging way. But it was one of those things where I particularly liked the music in the room before him, so when there's like an incoming hostile you'd get that music. You knew you were onto something when mm. you had that music playing in the room before. Yeah, I I I I really like that suspense that that type of music creates. Yeah, suspense is the word for sure, and then it kind of explodes in some, uh, you know, horrible like shape shifting stabbing thing. You know, it's the room they designed before Crater. Think with the little teeth spikes they have on the um the actual um the actual uh, uh, ceilings, yeah. and then you also get the little night sprite that does that before the air door. Who's like baby Crater, right? No, no, no. It's, it's before. It, it's right before the doors. Like some, like obviously some sort of warrior before. Oh, like, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, and I, I also, I think, I think Mother Brain definitely deserves her own type of um, music as well, in particular. And it's quite disgusting, kind of standard music as well for <laughs> what, the, what the scenario is. Right. Um, yeah. I suppose. Um, because it's kind of it's kind of slow and plodding, like you know, the, maybe it goes some way to mimic the way she actually moves those like big mechanical looking legs, you know, like she doesn't really move all that much. She just sort of pelts you with various projectiles, like you know, ridiculously overpowered attacks at that. So it's it's not really like a like a propulsive dynamic thing like Ridley and Dragon's music is. It's just I am horribly overpowered and I'm here to kill you music you know I mean the music in uh, Torian is pretty disgusting anyway once you once mm. you've defeated the four that got to the gold statue yeah 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 and got on the lift it, you, you hear sort of bubbly the test tube noises that you kind of stuff you'd hear in a lab um, playing which makes it really disgusting it's not really a kind of music it's just more of a theme for what it is and then you it, it, it culminates and there's music and this boss fight that's right yeah so um, let's move on to Metroid 4 Metroid Fusion. Now, we're jumping ahead several years here. There were uh, eight years between uh, Metroid 3 and Metroid 4 in terms of the, the 2D series. This is a Nintendo Game Boy Advance game, and 
The soundtrack is composed by Minako Hamano, who worked on Metroid 3, and Akira Fujiwara. Now, this is something that um, I didn't play when it came out, actually. It took me a few years to get around to, you know, finally playing it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why I overlooked it for so long, but I'm pleased I got there in the end because it's worthy of being in the series for sure. Uh, we we played this a bit together. I, I seem to remember a couple of years ago, right? Like we played this. Uh, we we blew it up on my TV like via emulation, and I don't know it was wasn't quite Super Metroid, but we were kind of getting there. I think it's it's, it's kind of nice that uh, Minako Hamano is like back working on this one. Um, I suppose like she has always had a pretty clear idea of what Metroid music should be, given that she worked on Super Metroid. In this game, um, it's kind of like more on rails than the previous games. So, you know, it's quite plot heavy, uh, directed by like the, you know, mission control computer who keeps giving her things to do. Like, you know, okay, you need to go to this room next or proceed to this area and get this power up, you know? Uh, so as such, like, you don't get the same sense of like freedom as you do in, in Metroid 3. Um, that said, it's still like a really, really decent game. Like it, it plays give or take just like Metroid 3. And the soundtrack's just absolutely massive. Like there, there are so many tracks on this thing uh, where a lot of them are just like atmospheric background sounds for when you're receiving messages and things like that. It does have some incredible pieces of music on it. So I think it's hugely underrated as well, as much as like Super Metroid soundtracks sort of beyond compare. Metroid Fusion, you shouldn't overlook it. There are some good pieces of music on this one. So we're going to hear a, a couple of songs from this game right now. We're going to hear Sector 1, also known as SRX, and Sector 4, also known as AQA. Again, this is Metroid Fusion from 2002 on the Game Boy Advance, composed by Minako Hamano and Akira Fujiwara.
was Sector 1 SRX and Sector 4 AQA from Metroid Fusion 2002 Nintendo Game Boy Advance. What do you make of those two, Stuart? Um, I remember you playing this in front of me. This is a game I never actually um, played myself. And it has a very similar feel to um, its predecessor, Metroid 3, in terms of how the kind of graphics look. Although I do remember it looking a bit more colourful some reason because it was for the Game Boy Advance right um, yeah I mean in particular those sort of pieces of music as well there's a certain one of the words that cropped into my head as well is almost like a laboratory kind of feel especially that last particular piece ah, as well okay that kind of makes sense because that's what they're doing in that game is like they're you know growing Metroids in a lab right so mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of appropriate isn't mm-hmm. it it's kind of the feel I got to it as well. I do remember this game had some interesting ideas, and there was a certain particular part of it, I'm not sure if you remember, that actually lacked music, which I really liked. And it was something unexpected that happens in the game mm. where you're in an elevator and all of a sudden the elevator powers down. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. I, I never, that's thinking outside the box a little bit as well, because normally you just take these as transitions. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of obviously bomb your way out and find a way. And I do recall the music somewhat being either killed at that point or just not being present to make yeah, that really you're right. feel. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, hang on, something's up here. It's all dead and quiet. And this is what kind of brings us to round to the idea of like a, a really eerie alien feel to it, obviously being a laboratory based thing. And mm. the lack of music in this particular case adds more emphasis on the fact that Samus is alone. She does have someone helping her out, assisting her, but still you get that feeling of being alone. If an elevator fails, what do you do? Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's that nice creepy feeling. Oh totally, yeah. I mean again it's possibly harkened back to that original like Ridley Scott influence from the films, you know. These are great tracks, like um I've taken some notes on these tracks like prior to recording this just to give myself something to talk about. I feel like there's some like real complexity in the rhythm parts of the um, like the sector one music. You know, it, it gives it a sort of a, like a sort of forward motion as Samus like, you know, negotiates these like uh, these caverns, which it turns out were built to replicate the um, the ecosystem that the original Metroids would have thrived in. And that music also doubles up as the prologue music as Samus is. Uh, telling you about you know the events leading up to the start of the Metroid Fusion game. She's rescued from an escape pod, and it takes a Metroid serum to you know keep her alive, basically. So it's like it you know it's 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 quite a, a effective piece of music because it's uh, setting the scene for the game and also gives you a a good feel for the environment you're in as you start exploring the world. The other piece of music, um, which is uh, the fourth sector. Uh, the aquatic sector, I guess, AQA, it suggests water. Um, it's it's very atmospheric, like um, that, that's sort of a lazy adjective to use when describing and analysing music, I realise that. But um, I'm sure you can understand why I picked that word. It's um, supporting voices, like, seem to have a lot of agency in making the music sound like it does. You know, it, it does have a prevailing melody, but it's very subtle. It's like what the... Uh, what the voices underneath that melody do and that uh, kind of modulating bass line at the bottom, what they bring to the table like makes the track for me. So the composers have been pretty smart with uh, 
you know, using the different voices they have at their disposal to make a a piece that kind of hangs in the air rather than uh, like propels you forward for a change. So let's have a couple more tracks from Metroid Fusion. Uh, again, it's a massive, massive, massive soundtrack, but uh, I think we'll settle for playing four pieces of music from the game. We're actually going to play two of my favourite pieces from Metroid Fusion. In, in fact, I'll just say it, like my two favourite pieces from the game. And also just two of the best in the whole series for my money. We're going to hear Crisis Mission and Underwater Depths.
heard Crisis Mission and Underwater Deaths from Metroid Fusion, released 2002 on the Game Boy Advance. Again, these are my two favourite pieces from the entire game. Um, just brilliant, like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant composition, like really tastefully done. Um, I feel like, you know, the Crisis Mission tune we heard uh, first, which was the track that plays when uh, like halfway through the game, you have to um, like disarm like an overheating power core or something to prevent the spaceship from blowing up. Um, it it kind of revisits the military feel that um, you know Metroid kind of riffs on in the earlier titles, and some of the best moments music-wise come from that uh, that vague military feel. You know the the sense of like uh, you know occasion and oh this is happening now. Come on, come on, Samus, you can do it, kind of thing, right? Um, and then Underwater Depths is just special, like, I was stunned when I first heard this, like, absolutely gorgeous piece of music. It's very texture-carried, and, and by that I mean, unlike a lot of Metroid music, it doesn't, like, seem to be moving the whole time. Like, it, it's quite content to just uh, kind of have a sense of uh, timelessness to it, so it's like almost in free time, particularly with how the harp sound on that piece sort of speeds up and slows down uh, so you know that that kind of weightlessness is uh appropriate given that you you are you're traversing an underwater section of the game where samus loses contact with mission control and she doesn't know where she is and she's trying to get out of this uh this quite difficult underwater area really nice um what do you think of these two stuart i can see why you like them um because th- similarities that came into my head when listening to that with you was um, in particular the crisis mission again as the urgency much similar to the self-destruct sequences in the prior game oh totally um, obviously it's clearly it's obviously rewritten sounds a bit different for the game um, another thing that might surprise you as well is the um, the underwater one in particular mm. how similar did that sound to Meridia I Quite think similar, a very yeah. similar sound to that. Because there are there are two themes for Meridia on Super Metroid, and do you mean like the um, the first one? Like I think I mean the first one when you first yeah. discover Meridia and you have that kind of like that you know watery kind of like what's it's like a, fl- a flute sort of melody. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, like that one has a, a sort of mystique about it, like. You know, I mean, it's it's got a kind of a maybe it's the scale or mode that the tune's playing in, but it has a kind of mystical quality to it. You know, uh, underwater depths on Metroid Fusions just it just sounds lost. You know, like Samus is lost, it sounds lost, but you don't necessarily like lament the fact because the whole thing like looks so nice under there. You know, and you are kind of blasting your way around trying to get out, but but I'll speak for myself. I was. I didn't want it to end, really. Like, that was such a nice part of the game, right? So, great music, I guess. We're going to go into Metroid Zero Mission now. Uh, This is uh, a game that was released after Metroid Fusion. It was released 2004, again, for the Nintendo Game Boy Advance. And this is effectively a remake of the original Metroid game, Metroid 1, on the NES except that it, uh, well, it's obviously for the Game Boy Advance, so it has, uh, you know, enhanced graphics, sound, etc. It also has a bit tacked on the end of it, like uh, on the way out of Zeebs, uh, Samus is, like, 
kind of uh, shot down, I think, and ends up at the space pirate mothership. And she's like stripped of her power suit, so she's reduced to this zero suit where, you know, you can see that she has like a blonde ponytail and all that, and just got to regain her powers before she can get out of there. So it's like a little bonus at the end. We're going to hear some music from when Samus is in that spaceship. We're also going to hear um, some music where you're fighting arch nemesis Ridley. And what did you call Ridley before? Like a pterodactyl or something? Like <laughs> you don't have too many nice things to say about Ridley. <laughs> I just think Ridley's a little bit odd, but I think the majority of the. Um the majority of the actual bosses you have to fight anyway are generally odd as well. I've often always wondered how the hell you would define Kraid. You know, or, um, <laughs> I suppose Ridley seems quite normal compared to the rest of them, really. A flying head ghost in space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all very fanciful, I suppose, right? So, on Zero Mission soundtrack, there are kind of updated Game Boy Advance versions of tracks from... Metroid 1 on the NES and Super Metroid and the two we're going to hear are actually uh, updated versions of tracks from the Super Metroid game and actually this this soundtrack was composed again by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano which was the same team that composed Super Metroid so it was kind of cool for Nintendo to get you know get the band back together so to speak and it's like, oh, well, let, let's make that classic game more like Super Metroid. And they've done that down to the music, which is pretty cool. So we're going to hear uh, Versus Ridley, where you're fighting Ridley, and Space Pirate Mothership from Metroid Zero Mission. <laughs>
Alright, that was Versus Ridley and Space Pirate Mothership, composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano from Metroid Zero Mission, released 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. Those, those are familiar tracks uh, for us both, given that they were indeed on uh, Super Metroid in a different form. Uh, that Ridley theme, I've got that down as like classic Metroid boss music. Uh, it's got the, you know, uh, shifting time signatures and, you know, the atonal patterns, like, completely all over the place. Uh, you know, it, it, it gives you that, we've said this before, haven't we? Like, it gives you that sense of, like, come on, Samus, you can't, you can't give up now, you know, he's going to knock you unless you lock in, you know what I mean? And um, the Space Pirate Mothership track we heard there, it's essentially a reimagined version of Super Metroid's wrecked ship theme, uh, it adds some electronic elements, uh, perhaps to reflect the fact that this ship that Samus has found herself on is actually functional rather than being the haunted wreck that it will be later on in the series. So you have uh, you have more like uh, punchy electronic kick drums and you know bleeps and bloops supporting the you know the main melody of the track. Did you re you recognise these two, right? I thought it was pretty clever. Yeah, you were mentioning that. Um, certainly, the uh, wrecked ship music, in particular in the older game, it didn't really have. Uh, again, there was another sort of eerie feel about it, um, especially when you discovered it in the first game. So yeah. it was nice to see that sort of as like a legacy in this particular um, piece of music here. I also liked the um, again the uh, Ridley boss fight music as well that they'd done that they'd kept true to what the classic was mm. but also remodernized it with some symbol use in there as well to make it more kind of upbeat and snappy and yeah that symbol kind of cuts through like to mark time at certain points i mean i still prefer the super metroid version really like it sounds it sounds fuller and more complete but you know it's it's sort of like foreshadowing what's to come for samus like when she returns to zebes i suppose yeah, it's kind of nice to hear that version in particular, though, because I agree with you, but I think that version in particular reminds me a lot of those... It's like band reunion shows when you see a band <laughs> that split up and then someone gets them together for a one-off gig. And, and, what will, and I love the fact that what they'll do is they'll have them playing at that gig and then they'll, they'll splice in what they sounded like in the past, and it's nice when you sort of hear them two match up. It almost sort of brings like a nice... Stuff not in tears to my eye, but like sort of you know, <laughs> gets me reminiscent about what they're doing with with their musical pieces and compositions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine um, the, what what it must be like to be a composer of uh, you know such a revered series. Uh, I mean, if if it was myself who composed like Super Metroid, then I mean that would be my proudest work like by a million miles right so it's cool they had the opportunity to revisit some of those themes and uh and do something a little different with them uh for the game boy advance i just wish we had a metroid 5 Stuart. music. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing like so if we if we leave out zero mission because that was a remake of metroid one the last time we had like an entirely original 2D Metroid game was Metroid Fusion 2002 
14 years ago, right? Like, and you'd think that with so many people getting involved in the ROM hacking and speedrunning community and this game just being universally, you know, this series of games just being universally acclaimed, the Nintendo would think, hey, maybe we should do another, like, classic 2D Metroid game and just, you know, push the story forward, give us, you know, Metroid Mm -hmm. 5, man, make it happen, like... It would be nice to see them expand on the lore of the game, definitely, through another 2D game. And as you know, specified, it has to be a 2D, because there's a certain charm to to those games, they're classic. There's so much you can do with just two dimensions, believe it or not, in a game. The gaming world, I think, anyway. (laughs) You haven't got to tell me that, man. I mean, it's like... It's a different era now, you know. Um, I guess I guess three D, you know, three D environments are have been completely standard since the late nineties, right? But uh, when we have a lot of indie game developers doing some fantastic stuff uh, with you know two D environments, and indeed like a lot of games that are inspired by the Metroid series, I'm thinking of like Axiom Verge, like games like that. You know, there's it's glaringly obvious that people want more of more of this. You know, people really, really love Metroid and Castlevania and things like that. So I'm recording this with you in 2016. Maybe there are people, I don't know, listening in the far future who have Metroid 5, 6 and 7. I don't know. I, I really hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> but, like, there is this new Nintendo console that's... Um, that's supposedly coming out before too long you know i uh, can't remember what it's called but uh maybe maybe they've got a metroid up their sleeves i don't know it's... maybe they were doing sort of metroid 5 speed one world records hey why not it's it's just like a format that has you know it's really got legs i mean so super metroid oh man 22 years old i guess that's ridiculous. It makes me feel ancient, but we're talking about a game that's 22 years old, and yet people are still finding ways to breathe life into it, mm-hmm. and just to get so much like gratification from it, right? And I don't know, man. Like, it feels like every bit of this game. Well, obviously, we're talking about the game in particular has been, you know, no, actually, not true. I think, yeah, I think the series in general, music as well that we've been looking at. Mm. Every bit of it has been recycled and reused to make. New games. Even if we don't get a Metroid Five, people are coming up with new ways to make these games more exciting through ROM hacking and making it in a competitive level using speedruns. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, really. Like an earlier episode of this podcast was on Street Fighter Two, which I did with, I did with John, and uh, that's much the same. Like that was originally released the very very start of the nineteen nineties, and and there's still a competitive scene for Street Fighter Two. You know, it's just these examples of of seemingly perfect games in terms of gameplay that just keep bringing people back into them and you know inspiring people to do remakes and this that and the third so i don't know if if any nintendo people are listening to this do the right thing give us metroid 5 get yamamoto and hamano on board and you know give me a job you know let me do some sound design for you (laughs) yeah i'll do do you i'll do you proud man I'll, I'll, (laughs) i'll do my best (laughs) <laughs> all right that's just about all we have time for um this has been fun like i've been looking forward to recording this um it's not a stretch to say that uh metroid and super metroid in particular is uh kind of a big part of my life in a way and and you know you're 
you're a part of that, so it's cool that I could get you on board to record this, Stuart. So thanks again for uh, for making it out and talking Metroid with me. Likewise, it's been a pleasure talking about it. It's been nice to have a stroll down memory lane with you. <laughs> All right, so um, plenty more where this came from. Um, Forever Sound version um, is a project that I've got every intention of continuing. I've got a lot of ideas for shows up my sleeve, so expect to hear a lot more from this if you want to get in touch for whatever reason you can do so via email at foreversoundversion at gmail.com if you want to play some shows back including this one uh, on mixcloud you can do that at mixcloud.com slash foreversoundversion if you want to like this podcast on facebook and get in touch that way you can visit facebook.com slash foreversoundversion and I'm also using Twitter, so you can use the handle at FSV Podcast. Also, one great way of getting on board with uh, this podcast and checking for when it's updated is to use the iTunes store. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And I'm also now using the TuneIn service. So if you have the TuneIn app on your phone or whatever, then just give me a search, Forever Sound Version on there, you'll find me. Do you have any plugs, Stuart? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm relatively active on Twitter, so if anyone wants to follow me on that, it's uh, Spread Purple, all one word. At Spread Purple. So uh, that's all we got, I guess. Um, so there was only ever going to be one way of ending this podcast, and that was with the ending theme, naturally, but the ending theme from Super Metroid, so the seventh Super Metroid track on this podcast... Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's no surprise. Again, this was composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano, uh, released 1994 on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Ah, man. I'll just let the track speak for itself because it's a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece. Thank you very much for listening and keep your eyes peeled for episode 5 of this podcast. Until then, take care.
Deer Force. <laughs> 